0: deeply been grateful for um, this opportunity of, of being with you on these Sundays I was telling Carl that it was just nice to have that 45-50 minute drive down from Parker uh, I never get tired of the scenery and watching Pikes Peak get closer and closer and all that so it's, it's good and we need to talk before I leave too about um, a week from tomorrow so I may be able to come this direction rather than you that way unless you okay So, let's pray. Father, I thank you for these men and women, those that have been here as well the prior two Sundays. Thank you, Lord, for their interest in serving you through mentorship. I thank you, God, for um, some of the emails that I've received in in last week and this week. Just, Lord, you know who these people are exactly, and you know um, the cares and concerns and the hopes of their lives. And I ask you to bless these people, all that have been here through this time. Because Lord, for some wild and crazy and wonderful reason, you've chosen each one of us to bear your image to impact this world of yours. Help us realize, Lord, this is not our world. It's your world. And that we are called to care. And that we are called to listen. And we are called to bring hope to people who don't have a lot of hope. And so I thank you for this moment. I ask that you be with us, that you would keep our minds and our alert, our hearts open to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. This is not a trick question, so you could seem like it, as I would open it, and uh, if, yeah, it's, it's a question I love to ask, especially I love to ask people from Christ-following groups because this metering model we have found works w- within secular groups, businesses, our team has invaded a huge organization back in the southeast, which we are really kind of startled by, but thrilled because even they are wanting to know how can people live from the core of who they are better, even though they may not know that we believe that this Father, Son, Spirit, God is the one that we long to have alive at the core. And it's just been really good to, to work in the marketplace, in the ministry place, across cultures. Um, I've had the privilege of working with Compassion International, It's where I met Brooks. Uh, over the last several years, and just to help people understand that life is a whole. We are dealing with whole people. We are not dealing with segmented people, partitioned-off people. We are whole people. And in that, here's my question, and I'd love to hear your response. Now, remember, it's not a trick question. Hope we're a little bit of friends by now. But where does the soul reside? Where, where would you say, you know, you have a soul, I have a soul? Where, where is that within us? Or is it kind of like, you know, the uh, the web? <laughs> it's out there somewhere. But tell me, just what's your what's your response? Where does the soul reside? Uh oh, do I have to be the teacher that calls on people? Okay, Terry, tell me. Of course okay. not your physical heart. Okay. okay. Yeah. It's interesting when you say about the heart, and, I, and I, you know that's a good response. Um, one of my good friends up in the Northwest is on the International Board of Directors for Wycliffe Bible Translators. And a number of years ago, Phil was sharing with Judy and I, with his wife Sharon, that Judy and I went to college with. Um, he said that one of the translators came back from somewhere in the world in some tribal, something or other, translating the word of God for this tribe. And he said that they brought down the house at one of their meetings in their international headquarters because we talk from our American Western culture about inviting Jesus into your heart. And out there, they had to translate it, inviting Jesus into your liver. Because the liver is the largest organ in, in the body like this. And they had a habit in their kind of bizarre tribal customs that they would take the innards out of somebody and bury them in one place and then they would take the body and bury it in another. So when they were doing this over, you know, years and years, decades of being this tribal culture, they would see this big thing and they just didn't understand why why did what did you want, you know, what's the metaphor here? What why Jesus into their heart and all of a sudden the guy said, "Well, how about liver one time and whatever they said, and they all they all understood cuz they thought that was the main life-giving organ. So, you know, one of our old gospel songs is into my heart, come into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Can you imagine? Come into my liver, come into my liver. Doesn't quite work in the translation real well. Somebody else, soul. Where does the soul reside? You look like you've got a response. Are you there? You've got a good question. Okay, so, like, like soul that is in the body. Okay, that's a good response. i know never heard quite that. That's. I'll take that one with me. Good. Somebody else, Evan? It seems like if we ever talk about like, you've got to do it with soul, it's always going to like somewhere down deep in here. Uh, you yeah. yeah. Steve. Give me a little more information on how you define soul. Ah. Uh, must be an engineer. <laughs> um, and see, there's, there's where we go. And I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do it right now. We can do that in another conversation. It's so often important as mentors for us to define our terms. Because we can say certain things, and you know, you'll say something to me, and I'll think, and you'll say, you understand? And I'll go, yeah, but I'm going this direction with the thought, and you're going this direction with the thought. And it's really important as a mentor, and even a mentoree, if you're being mentored, to make sure that you define terms. Because we can assume we know what it is. Now, I've given you some terminology. You can see that on your top sheet there um, in the handouts. I've given you some terminology of eight dimensions. And on the second page, you have our newest iteration in black and white, living black and white, of what our team has been working on in that in that iteration of those dimensions, because we look at a person as a whole person, we look at a person as whole, body, soul, and spirit, and we look at that tripart thing that our tripart God, this father, son, spirit, God, longs to inhabit us as well as Jesus has died for us, as well as this father, God. Has created us and given us life and purpose? And are we living congruently out of that Father Son Spirit relationship that we have? Now, this may be a little too casual for some of you, but way back in the day, I've advanced a little bit here. But too often, I think we talk to God with our mind. You know, we pray, we're thinking prayer. Um, uh, And and I'm going to be praying for all of you in the next service, by the way. Evan invited, and Glenn invited me down just to pray over your whole congregation, that you would be moving towards being mentors and mentorees. And as I told Evan, I was way humbled when I got that uh, this week. But what a delight to have done that and get to be in the service with all of you in this next time. So sit down front with me, okay? No, no backseat Baptist in here. Um, but, but in this, we, we talk to God the Father with our mind, our, heart, our head. We, we have the metaphor of inviting Jesus into our heart or our life. And I'm going to follow a little bit with what you said. I think the Holy Spirit resides in our gut. Because what is that way deep down sense that we get when we are walking with this Father, Son, Spirit, God? Now, I confuse some people because I'm often talking about the Triune God and Father, Son, Spirit, God. And I've even had really good folks say to me, why do you always keep talking about the Triune God? Because too often we segment God. We have God the Father over here and we've got Jesus... You know, back in heaven somewhere, and yeah, we've been given the Spirit, and we live in the Spirit, we can be, you know, allowing the Spirit to flow through our life, but this Father, Son, Spirit, God is one God, and in the process of that, that one God wants to permeate all of our life, and that's why we talk about the circle of life and God at the core of who we are. Now, I can talk to a non-believer, someone who does not follow God, and say, what's at your core? I have some incredible conversations with people. On our website, you can read I've, in some of the, the blog posts that I've written where I've talked about a couple of those conversations. Total strangers. But I, you know, they'll ask me when we get off the airplane, what in the world did you ask me? And all I'm doing is being concerned with who they are at the core of who they are. Not trying to impose language on them, but asking questions to do that. And as mentors, it's our response to be good question askers, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. So I want to take you through quickly how we use this mentoring process. We talk about life in three-thirds. There's the eight dimensions and then the, the uh, two, two steps down on the handout that you have there. We're talking about three-thirds. Give or take. There's no hard line. But in the three-thirds, 0 to 30 in our Western culture here in America, 30 to 60, 60 to whenever. Now, certainly anybody can have that moment of stepping into eternity at any age and at any time. And I think I alluded one time in our times here that my mother-in-law happened to live to be 103. And, uh, it was, and she was really good and bright and alive all the way up to about 45 days before she stepped through the thin veil. And in that, um, we need to be aware that the eight dimensions are going to be looking different to, let me go here, to in the first third, where we talk about childhood. And again, these move around. Don't, don't put these things in cement or marble or stone, okay? But the childhood, one to ten. Um, little kiddos, you know, babies, babies coming, babies here, kids on the grow, Um, there's that first third that we look at, and that's where I can have conversations with a first third person that can be just as intimate and deep as I can with a third third person that's much closer to my age. And so in that second part of the first third is adolescence. There is no way, if God were to say, do you want to stay the age you are, you can go back to being 14, I'd say, if it need to make me older, do. Because, uh, I mean, what upheaval and turmoil. You know, coming into a high school, um, watching kids. I walk in the early morning and the other morning, um, just watch the kids gathering in our neighborhood to pick up on the bus to school and having to walk by them. It was so funny. I mean, they, I was there and they were just pretending I was invisible. And, you know, they, nobody looked me in the eye and everything. Except our little neighbor girl, Hannah, who... Uh, well, still, you know, she comes up and gives a hug, and that was fun. But, but in, the, in the 10 to 20, there is such difference, physiological differences. You can go around the circle of life. Everything is changing. They are beginning to think. They are beginning to get an impression of what other people think of themselves. And these are things that we need to pay attention to when we are mentoring. And even a person that I mentor that's older, I want to know what has happened with them Decade by decade in their life, somebody comes to me and you 've heard these four phrases before when they do intentional deep change whole life transformational mentoring that's the that 's the four pathways in a sense that we 're going to take when we mentor people according to our circle of life model and in that, I can be as intentional moving the child towards deep change and hoping that there's just been something that can move them forward in a in a very important way and then there's emerging adults, which is a lot of you. That's the 20 to 30 route. Um, I am I'm a champion of millennials, if I can put it that way. I am so tired of people saying, those millennials. Um, because then I hear a lot of times those millennials saying, those old people. And uh, everybody's kind of getting back across the great divide of ages that's going on. But in that processing, I don't like the term young adult. I like the term emerging adult. We are all in process. A 10-year-old is in process. A um, you know, 17-year-old is in process. In fact, last night, you all know because I sent you an email, Judy and I went to see a movie last night, and on the way, our neighbors clicked a, you know, sent us a, a text picture of their 16-year-old son who was going to homecoming dance last night. And Judy just showed me the picture real quick when we were driving to the theater, and I thought, who's getting married? I mean, he's got a cute girlfriend. And I thought, that's Sean? Good grief. He looks like post-college. And so we started texting back and forth before the movie started about that. But at 16, he's an emerging adult, still at teenage years. But he's moving forward into that 20 to 30 time that that some of us are in. And then there's a second third that we talk about. And it's really important in this. And when I get to the, the older, the emerging adult, and the second third, and the third third, I have a process, it's a five, it's a three-page process. Last time one goes through it, it's a five-page process of doing an audit on your life. I call it doing the decades. And people, if I'm going to be an intentional, deep change, whole life transformational, ongoing mentoring relationship with somebody, I will give them this doing the decades um, exercise. And if you would like to see what that is, let me know via email. I'll be very happy to send it to you. Because it helps me as a mentor to understand quickly some of what's gone on in a person's life. And I can even explain as I send it to you, I don't want to take the time this morning, how to really carefully use that. I've had people come back to me and say, this was hard, but this was worth it, let's get going. And it really opens doors for some very healthy mentoring relationship to be go on. So in the second third We've got what, I, 30 to 45. It's an age of realization. It's a time of, of education being completed, hopefully. It's a time of family, work, vocation. You know, can, Again, move right around the circle of life and understand that there are these various things that are getting going. There's a realization that, ha, huh, we're finally making it or we're finally able to pay our bills or we finally got a bigger apartment or whatever the issue may be. Um, that is you're realizing a lot about life. You're realizing a lot of why you're here in that age group. And then 45 to 60, again, give or take, um, there's this time of we have, we, we, it's not that we've arrived, but there has been accomplishment. We can begin to look back and see milestones, some painful, but some also that we know have been good in the choices we've made that have moved us forward in who we are and in what we're doing in this life, especially for we who are Christ followers with that Father, Son, Spirit, God at the core of our life. And then we've got a third third. And this third third, you know, I, I say in one of my blog posts, in fact, the last blog post I wrote on our blog, where I talked about the fact we always talk about halftime. Well, that's an athletic metaphor. It's even a war metaphor. Um, we're, we're halfway done with the battle with what we've planned, or halfway to, you know, the end of the game, whatever. And halftime has been... And there's been some wonderful, wonderful things written for halftime for people in my age, the boomer generation. But that breaks down when you start looking at younger generations who are living longer. Because as I think I said the first time that, that Social Security in 1933 was put into effect because no, many were living beyond 65, so that kind of became the magic number. Ah, I'll retire at 65. Because hardly anybody was living too much beyond that. Well, now that curve, even globally, has increased. And the other thing is I've done work with Compassion in particular. I have found out that every country has, two, has three-thirds. It's fascinating. What's the average age in a country? I was working with a man from Uganda one time. And he said the average age of, of death. I mean, people live to 47. 47. And then they're gone. And he was in his 50s. He says, I am an old, old man in my culture. And so every culture, it's been fascinating for me to check that out. There's, if you look at it, there are thirds, even culturally. But I'm looking from our Western perspective. And one of the things that I think is really important is that when we olders, all of you with gray hair in here, which is just a... You're covering yours up, so... Uh, <laughs> I'm teasing. But, but, in, but in that, it's, it's one of these things. We have a responsibility in this third third to, to be available and to move back around. I find so many people, though, in this third that say they're full of shame from stuff that has happened or they've not achieved everything they've wanted to be or what their parents told them they should be or do. And in all of that, I find that the Church of Jesus and I, I don't mean this as indictment, because there's solution, is not good at reaching around to the younger generation. I had so many good people say to me, well, you know, those kids can take it. I've done, I've paid my dues, you know. Let's go, and that's it. And that's, that's a malaise across so much of the church. It drives me nuts. I get the question all the time at 72, when are you going to retire? And I say, one second after my last breath. Not just to be cute. Will I be doing some different things as maybe health or bad health or something goes over? But in the meantime, I want to stay fully alive. I want to stay fully engaged. That's why I'm standing in front of you guys this morning. To be that. And I want to encourage other people in my third, if you will. And the church has not done a good job of really helping elders elder. We just kind of say, yeah, it's nice. You know, give us your money and pat us on the back and leave us alone. This. What too often happens in a lot of church cultures, and when I can get my age, my third involved, and some of them are just scared spitless because they, they, they haven 't had good mentoring, they haven 't had good upbringings, they have to work through some baggage that 's in their own lives, and when they do, ah, I just love to watch people flocking to these individuals within some of the groups, some of the mission groups and and church groups that i 've worked with it 's really exciting. We need to have a plan even here at New Life. A bunch of young folk now. It's all you. But we're not staying our age forever. Birthdays will come every year. And what are we going to do with that as people get older and give them a vision for what's going to be taking place? So here's what I want to move through. Uh, Again, quickly, you can pick up more of this off of our website in some of the bits and pieces. And if you need to know more, you have my email address. And I've been so grateful for some of you interacting with me. It's just been, been great. You're asking good questions. You're making good suggestions. And keep it coming because I am a lifelong learner. And uh, in that intellectual dimension, I want to keep learning forever. But I think there's, you know, some of you say, well, I don't really know how to ask questions. Now, let me tell you this. The best of mentoring, if you don't remember anything I've said in three weeks, remember this. The best of Mandarin is learning to listen. The best of Mandarin always starts with listening. Not like I'm doing right now, talking. It is crucial that if we're going to be mentors after God's own heart, God wants to hear us. Now isn't it wild? We hide from God and don't tell him how we're feeling and he already knows. We forget that sometimes. And in the process of that, when you're mentoring somebody, you and I talked last week, what's your name again? Yeah, Jason. Jason. So if, if Jason is my mentor, and, um, and he's a good mentor, I, you know just from our conversation last week, you probably have the capacity to be a really good mentor because you ask great questions. But, but in that process, Jason needs to learn to listen first and ask questions. And when you ask the question, to listen some more. And don't be afraid of silence in listening. Drive some folks nuts. I mean, some people ask me a question. Maybe I'm Jason's mentor, and he asks me a question, and I'll sit there for a moment. I'm not going to be quick to respond. And I'm going to to say, can you unpack that a little bit more for me? And he'll make an attempt to do that. But here's the deal. I'm going to give you five ways to ask questions. And here's another thing about mentoring. These are just simple truths, either cornerstone truths. These will help you be a mentor and even a mentoree, as I've said earlier. Only if you're asking for a yes or no question, ask a yes or no question. Too often people will say, well, how are you doing? What's your name here? Paul. Paul, Paul, how are you doing? Well, Paul could be just waiting for somebody to ask him and go off for six paragraphs to let me know, what he's feeling, or he can say, Fine, and that's it. How are you doing today? Okay. Jason, do you want to do? You know, if it's a yes or no question, and that's all you get. And I found some people who have been trained to be good mentors, even helping Denver Seminary's mentoring program get going. Um, they get frustrated. I ask questions, and all they do is give me one answer. And I'm say, what kind of question are you asking? Because most of the time they're asking questions that only require one answer. And so that's really critical to be thinking. And you're not going to be able to really know what kind of question to ask if you're not listening well. I use all the time the five senses. Now, it's going to sound a little goofy here because it's a little stilted. If we had the time, if we were in one of our day and a half workshops, um, I'd pick one of you out of the crowd and... You know, I'd mentor you in front of everybody during the whole time, just to help people learn and know and grow with that. But I use the five senses as a way of inviting people to to ask questions. There's sight. Jason, can I pick on you? Can I have your permission? Okay, I'm going to pick on you then. Um, Tell me about, a little bit revealing, so don't take it too deep. But but what's been the what's been one of the most disappointing thoughts that you've had in this last week that's shareable in public? About anything. Yeah. Uh, Can be about ISIS or whatever. <laughs>
1: should it, I should not be in this position because I need to learn a lot, yep. and that can sometimes feel like a disappointment. Where you're like, maybe I'm not as far as
0: I thought I was. That's a that's. Thank you for that honesty on that. And when you have that sense that you're not quite as far as you should be, you know, just to help me understand you because we're new to each other last week. Can you give me a color of what that kind of uh, your feeling feels like? That's red the first color that comes Okay, the good. That's a good... And, and what color? I mean, red has all... Red, wide range. like a,
1: a burning red, which maybe is akin to a bit of frustration. Like, because red is kind of an angry color. And so, there's that frustration of like, ah, I want a little bit more
0: out of this. Than I did. You're perfect <laughs> to illustrate what's here. You see, all of a sudden, we learn something about him just using this thing of, of sight. And I often go to... color or maybe sometimes an experience you know you see a hot air balloon or whatever people are saying um but sight asking questions that have with what they are seeing and often to go with color is is one of the easiest ways to do it um and and i you know i've asked that question who knows how many times it's amazing everybody can pick it nobody has been hesitant to do it that way so it's, it's, it really is interesting, Paul. I agree with you. So a, a next is taste. To use the, that, the tongue, the taste here. Um, so Carl, you're retooling your organization's website. What's been frustrating to you about that in just your own work? Which we've been going through it too, so I understand that frustration. Ah. It's, it's finally happening, but it's just taking forever. It's taken forever. Is that kind of like, you know, you're going to eat a good hamburger and y- you forget to swallow it. You're just going to be chewing it forever. It just keeps going and going and going. Yeah, you can say that. Okay. That's no, a corny thing. You know, all, these, all these illustrations can break down. What's been the taste in your team, you think? What's, what's kind of been the corporate taste of this thing taking so long? so they've swallowed and gone on <laughs> but you see it begins to open up dialogue and if he if it's not them we can we can move around to doing some other things as we use it as an example but the sense of taste is really you know sour bitter sweet you know all of these things can come in and then sound paul for you What's your work? What do you do? Carpenter. carpenter. Ah, so you hammer away or do you have one of the guns? You name it. Na- you name it. Okay. I might need to help you have you come up to Parker and help me with some things. When you, are, when you are creating, making, repairing, whatever you do as a carpenter, what's the best sound that would define who you are and what's the worst sound that you, in carpentry that would define who you are, do you think, as a, as a man? What's the upside and downside that you're willing to share? Worst sound is when you get your thumb. Yeah. Yes. That that you went the microphone turned off. I'm with you. Um, I got a toe. It'll show that here. Probably the best sound, and I can't put a, uh, an audible sound, but it's that ah, uh, when you finish a job, it's like that sense of satisfaction. Look at it. Yeah. And, and it could be just at the end of the day when. You See the, the whole picture. That's There's a lot of time yeah. don't get to see. So, can you, can one, one thing is just kind of jarring in the immediate moment, which is a lot of like life. Yeah. And the other time, we, we really do enjoy those aha, ah, look what happened moments. See what we're learning about Paul already? Um, it just helps out when we're, when we're looking at sound. I don't know who this little munchkin is, but I want to go play with him. Touch. I used the word feel a moment ago. Touch. Now, we know what Paul is feeling when he slams a hammer on his thumb. Uh, we've all stubbed our toe or done whatever that way. <clears throat> but who, who's seen a movie in the last two weeks? Anybody? Okay. Um, I'll, I'll pick on Carl's wife here then. What, what, were you, what were you feeling during whatever, what was the movie? Okay. Very intense. Very intense. So w- what was going on as you were watching those scenes unfold? Oh, you know, was, I would get really into movies, and so I was like fully up, I was like, oh my gosh, Richard, what's <laughs> And does that relate to any other part of your life sometimes where you have felt that? Oh yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Did you see the uh, um, TED Talk that I sent out last night? Yeah. Are you on our? Okay, you'll you'll enjoy you'll enjoy what this Matthew guy has to say. Since you're, he's an emergency tech out picking up the people, so you'll like it. But see, all of a sudden we can start having conversation. And Karen and I can begin to, to move deeper, not just from the movie or being an ER nurse, but what, what do you think, feel with that? You know, last summer I had a hiking accident and got to see an emergency room twice in one week and, you know, tried out for the Olympic gymnastic team on a bunch of boulders up in Rocky Mountain National Park. It doesn't work, <laughs> especially at my age. Uh, nice five stitches in here. And, you know, it was really sad just as far as, as all, all of this. About a week later, there was a couple of people that were killed by lightning up in Rocky Mountain National Park. I remember reading about that. All of a sudden, they're showing the emergency room doors at the health center up at Estes. And I said to Judy, I said, I went right through those doors. There, I just kind of was chilling. I'd never been to the ER in Estes, but there it was. And all of a sudden, your feelings and things start to come back. And even as I talk about this, I still have some st- feeling stuff going on up here uh, where I bump my head, touch but you can go all kinds of things, asking questions about touch, and then smell. Um, you know, in scripture, there's the there's the encouragement to be sweet-smelling. In kind of the King James language, it talks being about a sweet-smelling savor. You know, having having smells. Um, uh, my mom on Saturday mornings, growing up in the ranch house, would make cinnamon rolls. Nobody made cinnamon rolls like her. She was famous. People would be coming out for dinner to the ranch and they'd always say, and Mrs. Roberts, you going to make cinnamon rolls? Uh, taste. But the smell was even better. You know, I would wake up as a kid, that wafting upstairs in our old ranch house. and ah, Saturday. Yeah. And so, so that, that whole thing of, of smell um, is, is way important. And the olfactory sense is huge. It can trigger memories just like that. Um, and we all have those memories. Bad, um, I was in a car wreck once and I can still smell burning rubber even as I say that. You know, and not smell, smell, but this this kicks in here. And so there's, there's those things that, that go on with smell. But you can begin to carefully encourage people to tell you as a mentor what is going on. Children love it. And... Way old people love it on both ends of the age continuum. They do this five sensing, as I call it, greatly. But a lot of times, people say, "I don't know what to do in asking questions." Consider the five senses and begin to move that way. I had the deep privilege um, several years ago of being on an, inter- not an international, but a national radio broadcast with a fairly well-known psychologist, a lady um, who I just really respect and she had been through some very difficult moments in her life. And as we're talking away in this hour program being interviewed in her studio with her announcer, um, when they came to a break, I asked her, she says, I'm not quite sure what I, I'm getting what you mean by this five sensing. And so I said, you and I know that I know your story and I just ache for what's gone on. I'm not going to go there if you can trust me. But let me take you, and I mentioned another thing that had said in the conversation, and I says, let me just take you down that path, may I? And you only do these things, you only ask questions with permission. And so she said, sure, so we come back on the air, and we're going down this road, and her announcer, just a wonderful young woman, we're winking back and forth at each other over the microphones, and all of a sudden, my friend, the psychologist, stops dead in her track, she says, and I'm not, I was not looking for this, but she says, into the microphone. She says, all of you listening out there, she says, this guy is good. She says, I did not expect to go where we just went in the last five minutes. And all I did was five cents her several layers under where she was. And she was writing me a note as she's saying that. She says, can we take you to lunch? I need to talk some more. And uh, because it really began to open up some things and because I did know her history, um, you know, was not appalled or put off by it. I mean, just some real hard stuff had happened. And it was a marvelous lunchtime. And she, you know, and she said again, what did you do to me? And I said, I just asked you questions because I care. And that's what went through. So in the five sensing, it's going to help you as a mentor to be able to answer this question that I've asked you repeatedly over the last three weeks. What is the difference you are choosing to make in our world? And in our world, doesn't have to be globally. I'm not asking you to go, you know, save everybody in Africa from the Ebola plague. Cross the street, where you work, where you do grocery shopping. I am committed to always speaking to one person at our Safeway store up where we live. And every once in a while, she will say, I remember the last question. Or, where have you guys been? I haven't seen you. And there's a lot of heartache in this lady's life that I have learned checking out groceries over time. Now, am I her mentor? No, I wouldn't call that that. Except the other day when I was buying some groceries, it was very interesting. She knows what I do. And, and she told somebody, she says, I heard her say, that's my mentor. And I think, seriously? We haven't had a conversation last more than 90 seconds or two minutes. But even in that amount of time, you can begin to offer people something, not just to be nosy. And here's another thing in asking questions. Never, and you're going to know this as a nurse, never open somebody up on the operating table in a sense and then go, well, see ya, got my groceries, going to run. You've got to be careful with the how and the what and where, where you dig. I and mean, if it starts getting deep, that's where even in J- with Jason this morning, um, you know, I wanted to make sure it was okay. And I think, you know, because we had some interaction last week, I, I knew he would probably look at me hesitantly and I would kind of take that as a signal. well, maybe not. Uh, <laughs> but I think you would have said so as well, uh, just off the interaction we've had. You were going to ask a question, Evan. With, with the five senses when you're asking the questions, do you have a pre... Like, do you have <laughs> five questions like I would cite and five questions? Do you It's a, it's a great question. Excuse my throat here. Got to make a swallow. Um, are there pre-questions that you can have? And, and I, I've been asked that before, and that may be a good thing for me to work on. But it comes out of learning to listen where you go because you don't want everybody fitting into the same questions. But, but you know, and I think you, for you, who you are, what would be sight, smell, taste, touch questions that comes out of just normally who you are um, would, would be an important way to do it. But that's about the third time in a month that somebody has asked me that from other places. Of what, what would be easy questions? I see another blog post coming on here. Um, that, that I think that would really be good to do something like that. So when that blog post is up, I'll send you an email. And how will that make you feel? <laughs> and and good would be what kind of a taste? What kind of taste? Yeah. Morning cup of chai latte. Uh morning cup of chai latte. Satisfying. Okay. See? Even in silly illustrations we can get something done with uh the five senses. But but I chase people down. I chase leaders down. I do a lot of mentoring with leaders in various positions, in in business, arts, medicine, um, all kinds of places. Church work, mission work, other nonprofits, um, some that are what I would call a, a, a secular nonprofit. But boy, are they doing Jesus work without even knowing they're doing Jesus work and the help and wholeness that they're bringing to various parts of humanity, and and so often people think, well, I've got to become like, and they have some big thing going out here. When that's part of my work, my my world, my business, my calling, my ministry, if you will. But I'm going to go back to the lady at Safeway. It's part of my responsibility to her too, just as we share the same space every once in a while. To look for her, to ask how she's doing. There's been enough shared over time. I've not invited her to a mentoring relationship or a counseling relationship or anything like that. But I look for her, and it's interesting. She looks for us. Just in that process of engaging. Now, the other thing, and, and you know, 95% of you folks have been really good at this, um, is, is look at people when you're talking to them. Um... It, it is so important, even if it's in an audience. One of my early speech teachers said, if you're talking to a fairly large crowd, talk to three people, one here, one there, and one back there. And she said very astutely, everybody's going to think you're talking to them in some way. And it's not just a, you know, a mechanical here and then here and then here. You know, You've got to let your eyes dance around. But whether it's speaking in front of a group of good souls like you or one-to-one, is be able to look at them. And, and, and because the eyes, I believe, are the window of the soul. Somebody said that once upon a time. I think it was Martin Luther or somebody like that. Um, that, that I learn a lot by looking at eyes and how people will divert it. Um, and we were on vacation up in Banff, Canada, a while back, and this family, it turned out they were from Liberia, Two brothers and a man were sent over by one of the big international oil companies to learn about oil and gas exploration in Calgary. And 14 kids and three families. Two families had five. One had four. And there was one little girl. And I just wanted to wrap her up and take her home because we had this little waving look. About three days they were there, and she and I would look at each other. And I, I, I did this first, and then she'd do it. And the father talked to me. He, he just said, my little girl has talked about you. And she says, it's that man that waves with his fingers. (laughs) But even if it's something that sweet and short and simple, to be able to talk to people lets you know you are with them, for them, here. That's why I love Skype or FaceTime. I can actually see the people, and often they're not sitting across the room. So, you you know, you get this much. It's kind of nice to be able to... You know, sit there in my my running shorts, but I've got a good shirt on, you know, and nobody knows. Uh, But to be able to look at people is just so much more of an enhancement uh, to that. Now, I come back to the four statements. Intentional, deep change, whole life, transformational mentoring. I believe if you're going to be a mentor after God's own heart, that that's exactly what you need to be committed to being. We need to be committed to to taking time, not just the casual conversations on an airplane, even though some of those have been life-changing in my life, let alone in other people's lives. Often people will say to me, what do you do? And I'll go, well, I'm a leadership mentor. That's where I start. And, uh, and sometimes I'll say, I'm, I'm curious to know why you're asking. And they'll say, because you just asked me a question nobody has ever asked me in my life. And I lift that up to the Father. I lift that up to the, to the one who's created us all, created them. For that to be maybe a seed sown or a seed watered or maybe something has happened in their life that they can take that and move another direction. So a mentoring can be intentional, but be intentional with your interactions with people. I do have people that I see every other, every third week, One pastor in Minneapolis, it's going through a ton of stuff in his denomination right now. Um, I spend three hours with him every six weeks. There's various ways of repetitive time with these people. Or as we can fight it into, you know, put it into our mutual schedules. It may be a person at work that you're just going to be consistently seeing. And they may not say, will you mentor me or are you mentoring me? But you can, you can help them move some direction, maybe as a leader in your company or your organization or your neighborhood or your PTA, you have a responsibility. I think we do as followers of Jesus. We have a responsibility to help people move forward somehow with their life. Not to force them, not to tell them what to do. Mentoring is not telling somebody what to do. The best of mentoring is helping people explore and discover what to do. And then Watch out, world, with how it happens. Jason, you're going to ask a good question. If this
1: derails something, you can uh, ignore. That's fine. We can make Uh, an appointment. (laughs) Uh, Because I don't have a little bit of time. But I I think something that uh, I've experienced is often with mentoring and the stories uh, you've been telling, the mentor gets pegged as the extrovert. And then if you're going to mentor, you have to be an extrovert. That's that's great. You like talking to people. For people that are introverts, it feels like (laughs) I would never talk to the person behind the counter because... That's just not me. Like, I don't think that way. I don't work that way. So what stories or what examples do you have or have, the experiences you've had where the introvert, the person that wouldn't talk to the person, is it partly just growth as a person to say, you know what, I'm going to step out of myself a little bit and do this? Or how, how to have that mentoring relationship when you may not put yourself out there in seemingly a vulnerable way to ask a question to someone and not know how they're going to take that?
0: I think that... The- in, in, in good mentoring, and what I often say, the best of mentoring is, is be who you are. Um, if you were to know my bride of 47 years now, you would see the most beautiful introvert you've ever laid eyes on at 70 years of age. Um, and she's an introvert. But, and, and she's not aloof, she's not distanced, but she's got two or three people that she just easily pours into. And don't ask her to do six, seven, or eight, because that's not her. And I think it's really important to understand who, who are you. Remember we talked in the first week about who you are is more important than what you do. You know, ultimately what you do is important. But if you're if you're introverted, go with it. But don't hide there. Extroversion can be just as much of a hiding factor. People can always be woo way out there. You know, there's some people in my life, if I know I'm gonna see them, I wanna, you know, already pull the cord on their wind machine. Because they're just you know, they're 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 that way. So we, any, either direction can go a wrong way. But be who you are in that. You don't have to mentor tons of people. Carl. Just kind of a thought related to that. I feel like you
1: talk about one of, this, one of the best mentoring skills is, is being a good listener. I feel like a lot of introverts already have that pegged down, where the extroverts <laughs> normally have to work really hard They're good at engaging, but they're not very good. At That's right.
0: Somebody pegged Judy and I the other day when they said what she said was just so important. But I was interacting with them and then Jude dared to step in just a little bit and really gave the situation way more was needed. All of a sudden I thought, wow, it's really good. You know, where uh, she was taking, taking the situation. So it's I, both you men have just really said some important things here. This is part of the excellent problem of only having three hours of what i would take you through in about 12 and we would have this kind of discussion we get going like this i want to start being facilitator here and who else thinks this and what's going on as, as we put this through And maybe we can enhance it and have a have a, a day-long follow-up time or something where we could do something like this but you guys have really brought up some very important points be who you are though i don't want judy to be me and i don't want to be her but I sure glean and learn from her. Her introversion teaches me so much about being quiet and thoughtful. And my extroversion helps her move sometimes to some places just in our marriage relationships. not that we're mentoring each other, but we, we encourage and we nurture each other in those very important ways. Other thoughts? Yes, Rick. Ah, good because point. There, there Great six, point. And, you know, one of the things I believe is all behavior is motivated. So
1: when we all have certain patterns in life, which is why people who know us well say, hey, what's your different today? What's, what's going on now? They can just sense something's different than mm-hmm.
0: And your word change is so important. Um, I cannot architect change, but I want to be an agent of change as a mentor. I want to be led by the Spirit of God to be an agent of change in people's lives. Sometimes it's way slow. And sometimes it's, you know, in the extroversion, sometimes it's almost too fast. Like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You haven't thought about that. What's, what's going on? But these are just such good points. And, and to know that you're, you're being encouraged by this, um, encourages me, because I am I am wanting and longing, especially for God's people, to be able to be thinking and and trained, if you will, and living out whole person mentoring. Now you said one thing, Rick. Just to hitchhike on it, when people say, "Well, are you a counselor?" and I'll or, as a mentor, are you a counselor? And I'll say, "Well, that's part of it," or "Are you a life coach?" Well, that's part of it, or Almost anything you can say in relationship and development, I, can, I will not obnoxiously, but put it under the umbrella of mentoring. I understand what a life coach is, or a business coach, or whatever. You know, there's narrowing things down to get things done. And one thing as a mentor that I think I'm, I, one of the places I think I'm really good at is referring people. I can, I know a lot about a lot of things in one sense, a generalist in some way. But if somebody needs X, I also have people that I can send them to. if Maybe it is a personal counselor. Maybe somebody's come up being sexually abused. And there's people that I can take them to, not just here in our part of the world, but in other parts of the country. Um, a lot of men in ministry these days are struggling with the issue of porn. And the best person on the planet lives up in Denver. And there's just a whole host of people. Um, if you know of anybody that's struggling on the porn issue, Michael Cusick's book, um, surfing for God is the statement on that at this point, to help people be free. And other issues, I mean, not just that, that issue, but other issues. He's speaking at Denver Seminary la- next Friday. He's just a wonderful man and a good friend. And yet he, he's got the quirkiest sense of humor. And I got the invitation from Denver Seminary to come. I said, well, that'll, that'll either bring him in or keep him away. It's called Porn for Pastors. <laughs> but... I also already know as soon as that went out, I began to just say to guys who are are struggling themselves or who are struggling in their congregations, they have been coming to and going, yeah, what do I do with this? So we all have these issues, these downside issues, and we all have upside issues that are good, that are bringing life to us. Yes, ma'am, what's your name? Marie? Oh, Martha, okay, that's one of my favorite sister-in-laws, so... Uh, Mentoring and affirmation. Mm-hmm. Mm. Hmm. affirmation is a, is a wonderful thing to be thinking of people. She says a life was changed because of affirmation. We, it, 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 is, it is if we're not just giving them attaboys or you can do this. Or you, but see, help them explore and discover what you can affirm in them. I don't tell people, ah oh, you're going to be good at this. Jason, you asked me a question, so I just think you're terrific at. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to define him. That's not what we mean at all. But you're a courageous man by asking a question. And in that process, I just affirmed you. You know, We're kind of being technical here on, on the illustration. But affirmation is something that a lot of people don't know how to give. It's just kind of like, gee, I think you're nice, Paul. But uh, what's, the, what's the specifics? And that's where you've got eight dimensions to affirm, to talk to people, to get to know them and interact with them. I want to place something for you. I use all kinds of material as you now... No by, by this time, um, as we look at what God wants us to do in his world. We are his hands, we are his feet, we are his eyes, we are his representatives in the world. So let me see if I can do this. Um, I may need some help from somebody that knows much more. Okay, here we go. You set it up perfect. I'm going to steal him and take him with me, okay? <laughs> Listen to this. It is a TED Talk by David Brooks. David Brooks is a leading contributor, columnist for the New York Times. Um, he is uh, a fellow believer. He probably has some of the most influence on world issues and situations of anybody I know. He's willing to hit some controversial things every once in a while. I love reading him in the when when his column in the in the New York Times. Listen to what he says because this concludes our time. And I want to say thank you for this privilege and. Evan and I will talk some more about what maybe can come next. And again, you've got my email. Let me know. I'll interact and and talk with you. And some of you, we already have set up some moments of that we'll be sharing together. So here we go. And how do I get it bigger?
2: So I've been thinking about- We have a in society that favors Adam and also less Adam too. And the problem is that it turns into a shrewd down It treats life as a game. you become a cold, calculating creature. You slips into a sort of theocracy. You realize that there's a difference between you your desired self and your actual self. You're not earning the sort of eulogy you want. You hope someone will you. You don't have a debt of prediction.
0: Pretty good six-minute sermon with about a thousand people in New York City listening to him. I have two sheets here left in the handout for today because I started asking the question, where does the soul reside? Somewhere in our thinking, this ephemeral, the brain, the mind, how we function, does a person that doesn't have brain capacity still have a soul? Yeah, I believe that. Because they still have a brain, even though that might not be functioning. And that's God's business in so many ways. There's a man, John Medina, up in Seattle. He's a professor at Seattle Pacific University, in part, which is a Christian school up there. And um, he's written a book called Brain Rules, and he's got an updated version of it. And I've given you a website here that I would love for you, just when you have the time, to go and watch. There's three to four minute videos on each of the 12 points that he makes about how we need to be using our brain better, which is where you know if our soul lives within our brain, which is part of our body, functions our body, these are really dynamic things to think about, just to give you some added post-class uh, things to look at. They're very entertaining. He, I think he's trying to be Jonathan Winters half the time, but he's really a bright, smart guy and, again, a solid follower of Jesus. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other, um, I, and this was just this morning, this is what the Spirit will often do with me, Um, I do enjoy sleeping. I couldn't sleep beyond a certain hour this morning. I had to get up and chase some things down and prepared this last page just for you. And it wasn't just for you, but it was just for me too. Because as I was really racing through and looking and pausing and pondering the scriptures that the Spirit led to this morning, um, this is what I felt from my own heart in thinking about you folks today. That this truly amazing news of amazing grace... We are to have and live with the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you. And it's possible via that connection of our soul with God. What is our soul filled up with? And there's scriptures there, NIV, ESV, that is good for you. And and my old standby when I want to know what else to think in the message. And there's four of those scriptures down toward the end when Paul was writing to uh, Ephesus and Philippians and Colossae. Um, that are just important to think through. And look those up in the other scriptures as well. But I trust that you would, would read these things, and I'm just going to read the last two, the Philipp- last Philippians and the Colossians one, just as a, as a blessing, prayer, whatever, and say, go and be who God has designed you to be. And if you focus on that, your life is going to be different. There is going to be the change that Rick mentioned. And you'll, you'll be able to come out of a shell that you don't need to be in Don't change from introversion to extroversion just to please somebody. But but take this and be committed to being who you are wherever you are in the third of life until you breathe no more. So Paul said to Philippi, summing it all up, friends, and I say to you folks here in Sea Springs, I'd say you'll do your best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compassionate,